Thanks, Sander. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all here tonight. Uh, for those online tonight, you're struggling away, aren't you? It's been coming in and out. They're on. We, we use a 4G uh, at the moment. We don't have um, NBN here. We've been struggling away to get NBN um, connected. So we're on 4G. And so all you guys that have got your phones on 4G are pinching the 4G inside the room um, and so um, and struggling away. So we've been coming on and off, on and off. So well done for being here tonight. You guys get the live version without all the... Uh, mm, uh, coming on every five seconds. <laughs> They'll get to enjoy that for the rest. It's been lovely um, to, um, to meet Chris and Christy and, and um, also a chance to meet the kids as well, all three of them here tonight. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, welcome to Menai Anglican and it's been um, wonderful to hear what they're hoping to do as, um, as they head off to Malta, hopefully early next year. Um, how about we pray um, and we'll have a look at this passage as we continue our resolute series in uh, Luke's travel narrative. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this chance to uh, continue to look into this incredible little section of your scriptures uh, as Jesus resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem uh, so that he can go uh, on mission to die in our place that we can be restored in our relationship with you. And on the way, he's equipping and training the disciples to understand more and more of the kingdom of God and what his plans and purposes for the world are. And so, Father, we pray that as we um, kind of uh, watch on and, uh, and hear your word, that you would um, open our hearts and minds to understand it um, and to live by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was recently asked by a friend of mine who happens to be a businessman, what is God doing in the world? The world's so full of chaos and pain and evil. What is God up to? And then he said quietly, Stephen, with all respect, if the world was a company and God was a CEO, the shareholders would sack him. I mean, what's he doing? This world's a mess. And let's be honest, I'm sure we've all asked that question at some time, especially recently as the world's been so deeply impacted by the global pandemic. I don't know if you actually have um, known of anybody that has got COVID, but of course we all do now in one of our partners um, in, um, in David. Um, and it just gets closer, doesn't it? Closer every time you hear that connection um, to you. This has gone throughout the world. But what if I gave this answer to my friends? What if God was doing something that would affect the whole world, and if you could see it, would change the whole way you see the world, and yet most people can't see it? You see, that's what Jesus is actually talking about here in Luke chapter 13. What is God doing in our world? Can you see it? And how should we respond to it? And he explains it by using four thought-provoking um, uh, pictures uh, of, um, of what the kingdom of God is like. And he says that they are the tiny seed, the yeast in the dough, the narrow door, and the huge feast. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So let's jump into the first one, the tiny seed, verses 18 to 20. Now, can you imagine something very small, very obscure, that most people haven't noticed, and yet from the tiniest of beginnings it could affect the whole world. Well, very often thing we can, um, that can be a negative thing. And so one article I read about the coronavirus 
is that it started with a horseshoe bat that lives in China. Now, a horseshoe bat is an ugly-looking thing, um, as you can see, and um, is small enough to actually fit into the palm of your hands. And then they carried the virus, apparently, uh, and passed it on to a pangolin. So this is the pangolin, an armoured plate of little anteater in Asia. <laughs> so this is the theory. This is a serious theory. And um, the pangolin is actually very famous for ch um, traditional Chinese medicine. And somehow the virus has got from that um, period through to people and has since affected the whole world. And yet those two animals, I mean, who's ever heard of them? Um, they're so insignificant. But to go from tiny to huge is not always a negative thing. I'm sure many of us have, um, when we were growing up, have planted a tiny little seed and watched it grow into a little bit of a plant. And if you've been around long enough, you may have even seen it grow into a tree. And of course, that's exactly the picture that Jesus gives here in verses 18. Now, before we jump into this picture, uh, it's worth knowing that Jesus starts this um, verse, verse 18, with the word therefore, which links the parable we're going to look at with what's just gone before. And what's just gone before is that Jesus has just healed a woman. Now, we don't know much about this woman. We don't know anything about um, uh, her situation. We don't know her name. Seemingly quite insignificant. And so he's healed this woman, and then he goes on to say, therefore, verse 18, then Jesus asked, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Well, here's a picture of a mustard seed. It fits right there on the end of your finger. And the mustard seed tree grows into a huge tree. Here's a picture of, mustard, of a, um, a mustard tree. It can grow up to eight metres high. So you've got that tiny little seed grows into this massive big tree. Pretty straightforward little picture. Second one comes from verse 20. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So this time, the idea of yeast, just a little bit, that, um, and it's about 27 kilos of flour. So you can imagine the size of the bit of bread that's going to make 27 kilos of flour. And again, the English translation doesn't quite grab it on this one because what it's literally saying is that Jesus, is that this lady hid the yeast in the dough. So what he's saying is, well, here's this little bit of yeast, it's hidden, so you can't see what's happening, but it literally ferments and gets right through the whole 27 kilos of flour, of dough. So, hidden, small, affects everything. Small grows huge. That's the two pictures that Jesus has painted for us, the two parables that he tells his disciples. But what are these parables about? Well, he's told us they're about the kingdom of God. Now, this is something Jesus is always teaching about, the kingdom of God. In fact, he mentions the kingdom of God some 80 times in the Gospels. Now, what does he mean by the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God's not an organisation. It's not a place. It's not a venue. It means the reign of God. Vaughan Robert puts it um, really helpfully in um, his book that many of us would have read, God's Big Picture. 
He says this, God wants to bring back people to himself who willingly submit to his rule. This is what is meant by the kingdom of God. Not the area where he rules, for he rules everywhere, but the sphere where his rule is gladly accepted. And so the kingdom of God is the rule of God, of God's king in people's lives. Or people coming to know God through his king. It's not the same as church or churches, because churches are people who acknowledge the kingship of Jesus and live for him, but the church is the gathering of those people. Now, the kingdom of God, on the other hand, is a more dynamic idea of the reign of God in people's lives. Now, why did Jesus need to tell these parables about the mustard seed, that tiny little seed that grows into the huge tree, or the yeast, that tiny little yeast that actually gets through the whole dough? Why, why tell these parables? Or perhaps a more helpful way to come at this is to ask, why are the religious leaders coming to Jesus, asking him for a sign from heaven? I mean, Jesus has just fed a huge crowd on a cut lunch. He's just healed a woman um, from a terrible disease. And then they ask for a sign from heaven. Why? What's going on? Even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, uh, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really God's king? What's going on through all of this? Well, Jewish people in the first century would have been reading their Old Testaments. Good thing to do. And the Old Testament promised that one day God will come and set up his kingdom. He would come and deal with the evil and corruption. He would save his people and he would renew all of creation. It would literally be world-shaping. And it's clear that the prophets, and especially Isaiah, expected that when this happened, it would be cataclysmic. It would be a capital A apocalyptic event. It would be world-shattering. Let me just share with you a couple of passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 13. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Or Isaiah 65, verse 17, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And so the prophets are expecting something huge to happen on the day when God comes to earth to set up his kingdom. But Jesus turns up with just a few people doing a few miracles that foreshadow something that's going to come later. And he says, one day this cataclysmic event will happen, yes, but in the meantime, the kingdom of God will begin small and it will grow to be huge. And just like the yeast, it will affect everything, but it will be hidden from so many and they will not see it as it does its work. And the question is, can you see it? Can you see the kingdom of God at work? Can you see him growing his kingdom? Because when you do see it, it changes everything. The best analogy I can think of is an ad that um, I've seen on uh, Facebook a number of times this year um, for tack glasses. I'm actually quite interested in getting a pair of these, although they look pretty daggy. Where people in the street are approached and, um, and you know, these are used by um, the commandos and stuff in America. They're American. Um, and, um, and they look into a white screen. Now, the screen is completely white. They look into the white screen and they can see the American flag and the eagle. 
So, um, so they, as it says, they're light filtering technology, and it changes perspective um, completely. And so they put on these glasses, and they think, oh, yeah, I'm just putting on a pair of glasses, and they look at the screen and go, whoa, you know? It's, it just completely changes everything. There's this white screen, and now they see something completely different. Now, it's a bit like that when you actually see the kingdom of God. Once God opens your eyes by the Spirit and you can see, it changes everything. In fact, Jesus says in John 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It's when God renews you spiritually by His Spirit that you can see what now God is doing in His world. It's when lives are transformed. And it's not a trivial thing, for the Bible speaks of there being two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of the evil one or you're in the kingdom of the sun. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So what Jesus is saying that today we can know God through his king. We can live in the kingdom of God and know his forgiveness and joy and hope and purpose and be part of a community of people who are to love and care for one another and to care for others. And in the future, well, yes, there'll be a judgment day. And people will be judged on how they've responded to this offer of forgiveness. There'll be a new creation, where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And this just leads us to ask the question, so how many are going to be saved? How many will be okay, accepted by God? And how many will be rejected? And that's the very question that somebody asks from the sidelines as Jesus is making his way down to Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. Then Jesus went through the town and villages teaching as he was making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, it's likely this person asking the question was a fellow Jew. For most Jews, they believed that only Jewish people would be okay on the day of judgment, that only Jews would be accepted into the kingdom. Only a few. And I guess we could ask the same question today as we look around here in Australia, with only a few people taking Jesus seriously, or as we heard in Malta, even less taking Jesus seriously, although almost everybody knowing the name of Jesus. Sure, here in Australia we have holidays about Jesus, Christmas and Easter, Lots of people attend schools that might acknowledge Jesus or were founded by Christian people. Many Aussies give to charities that are run by Jesus' followers. But how many actually take Jesus seriously? Only a few? Will only a few be saved? You know that what Jesus says, it's actually the wrong question to ask. And so he gives the third picture, the picture of the narrow door. We've had the tiny seed, we've had the yeast in the dough, and now the narrow door. Look how Jesus answers them, verse 23. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. What Jesus is saying is, don't worry about the numbers, about um, about those that might miss out. He's saying, make sure you're there. Make sure you make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Now, why does he say it's narrow? 
Well, it's because the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is the only way into God's kingdom. Jesus is the only way to be accepted by God. Now, I know that seems narrow, but where is, but where is Jesus on his way to? Well, verse 22 says he's on his way to Jerusalem, as we know. And as we saw from the first talk in this series, Jesus has resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that when he arrives there, he is going to die on a cross. Why? So that he could die in our place, to take the wrong that we have done, to pay the penalty for us so that we could be forgiven. Narrow? Well, yes, because of what it costs. On the night before he dies, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating literally drops of blood because of what he's about to face and asking his father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. But what does the answer come back as? No, there is no other way. If there was another way, if there was a wider door that God could have opened, then God would have chosen that. But the only way, To be right with God is the incredibly costly sacrifice of his son so that you and I could enter God's kingdom. So why do it now? Jesus says, make every effort. Get on with it. Do it now. Why? Well, because one day the door will be closed. Verse 24. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you have come from. There's a hard word, aren't they? There is a time when it will be too late. The narrow door will become the closed door. And look how people will answer. See verse 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets. I mean, they literally had him there with them, in their streets. They ate and drank with him. They took him for granted. And the door is closed. And I can't help but think with great sadness that many in our society will say, but but we had public holidays because of you. We had the Christmas holidays, the Easter holidays. And there's, there's these big stone buildings in our streets with pointy roofs that all are about you. And we went to schools that paid lip service to you. And we gave money to the salvos. We even prayed to you when life got a bit tough. But verse 27, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. You see, it's a terrible thing to take Jesus for granted. So we've had the tiny seed, we've had the yeast in the dough, we've had the narrow door, but then Jesus goes on to now speak of the huge feast. And here Jesus has a warning and a promise. Verse 28, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac and Japheth and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves thrown out. Jesus warns his first century listeners that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, literally grinding teeth in frustration of what could have been at missing out. And why? 
Well, Jesus says that you will see in the kingdom of God on that day when it arrives, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the giants of the faith, if you're Jewish, they'll be there and his listeners will be thrown out. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell the crowd is that your ethnicity, your national group, your tribe, it's not enough. For there's only one way to enter into the kingdom and be right on the last day. And that is through trusting Jesus, that he died for us and that he rose again. And so, will there only be a few? No. No. Jesus' answer here is that there will be countless people. Verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and they will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. You see, all tribes, all nations will be welcome at the feast. People from everywhere who have entered through the narrow door of following and trusting in Jesus. And now some 2,000 years later, the kingdom that was so very small then is huge now. People have come from the north, from the south, from east, from west. We don't know exactly how many are in the kingdom But here's an interesting statistic. The Gallup World Poll Association, which polls 160 countries, they're not allowed into China, so it doesn't include China, estimate that in 2015, 2.2 billion people put up their hand and said, yes, I'm a Christian. Now, it's hard to know what they mean by that, but look at the next one. There is an estimate 1.2 billion that attended church in the last seven days. Christians that attended church in the last seven days. In other words, there are many, many people now in the kingdom of God. And that's the ones that are alive today. We've had 2,000 years of life between this day that Jesus spoke these words and today. People who acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. And notice um, Jesus paints the kingdom as a feast as a wedding celebration. I mean, just think of a wedding that you've gone to, pre-COVID probably, full of love and fun and food and dancing. And Jesus promises that this is the picture of our future, of his kingdom. And you know what? You can be part of that if you trust him for your forgiveness and live with him as your Lord. It's interesting that Jesus is standing here with just such a small group of people listening in who knows where, in Judea, having just shown the kingdom will be like, uh, shown what the kingdom will be like by healing this woman that we don't even know her name. And he says, the kingdom of God has arrived and it will grow and it will turn our world's values and priorities upside down. It will change everything. Look at verse 30. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. When the kingdom truly arrives, it changes everything. Well, a quick summary. Jesus is saying, one, the kingdom of God will start small like a seed and grow huge. Two, it will be hidden in a way like yeast in dough. Many won't see it, but will affect everything. Three, you can enter the kingdom through the narrow door, that is through Jesus. But you need to do that now. 
And four, many will enjoy the feast, but some will miss out. Now, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that we're living in extraordinary times. I mean, it might be a cliche, but it's true, isn't it? But the more we see the meaning of the world from this perspective, with God's kingdom at the centre and the focus, the more we'll understand where the world is heading and what God is doing in the world. We don't know what's going to happen in the next six months, the next nine months, the next few years. But what we do know is where history is going. And we know that Jesus says to each one of his people, individually and globally, that he has got it all under control. And it will be okay in the end. And so we can face our future, if we trust in Jesus, with hope and confidence and not fear. What's more, when we truly grasp this kingdom focus, it changes our priorities. We saw this last week. No longer worrying about what we need to eat or drink or wear, but seeking first the kingdom of God, knowing that God will meet our needs. And so what then becomes our greatest priority once you see things from God's perspective? Well, of course, the greatest priority is people coming to know Jesus as their king. And this is why Chris and Christy and um, Caleb and Esther and Josh are willing to leave their known and comfortable lives here in Australia to move to Malta, where, as I said before, many, if not every person, knows the name of Jesus, but very few really know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And we get to partner with them in that, as we get to partner with the other Mishos that head away from us. But what about you? Where is God calling you to go? Who is God calling you to speak to? How will God use you to make his kingdom known? Let me pray for us, friends. It's a bit sobering, this passage, but gee, it's important to understand why, God, why Jesus is making this trip to Jerusalem, why this is, um, puts a whole new perspective on the way we see the world. It's not about how comfortable we are. It's about, is his kingdom growing and where is it going to? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your uh, word here to us. There is many warnings in this passage, warnings about making sure that we are entering through the narrow door, making sure that um, we don't miss out. But Father, there's also great hope in this passage, helping us to see uh, that you are indeed doing a massive work of growing your kingdom in our very time all over the world, that there are people coming under the lordship of Jesus, knowing him, not only his name, but knowing him and living for him. And Father, we pray that you would help us to keep that perspective in mind, that understanding of the world in mind, so that we don't get put off by the difficulties that life throws at us, but know where this whole world is going to as you grow your kingdom and then come and, um, and take us to be with you at the great feast that we look forward to in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.